0: Welcome to episode 27 of the Energy Balance Podcast, where we teach you how to live without constant hunger and fatigue, brain fog, poor sleep, and all sorts of other low energy symptoms by maximizing your cellular energy. I'm Jay Feldman. I'm a health coach and independent health researcher. And joining me again today is my good friend, Mike Fave, who has studied health and nutrition with me for quite a while and also draws on his experiences from working within the healthcare industry. Today's episode was a Q&A episode, and it was a pretty wide-ranging one where on one hand we talked through some of the biochemistry regarding the NAD and NADH ratio and the relationship between that ratio and metabolism and health and aging and disease. And we did take some time to break it down and try to create some analogies that make it easier to understand. And then on the other hand, we talked about what uh, Mike and I each eat during uh, an average day. We talked about finding balance within your diet and the problems with excessive rigidity when it comes to our diet and the problem with the idea of cheating on our diets. And we also talked about how you can individualize uh, your diet to your particular needs. We talked through some various snack and meal ideas that you can try. And we also talked about the consequences of the normalization of unhealthy diets and lifestyles, which is pretty common in our modern cultures. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer on a future QA episode, you can email that question over to jay at com. That's jay at jayfeldmanwellness.com, or you can leave it in the comments on the YouTube video for the podcast. To check out the show notes for today's episode, head over to slash podcast, where you can take a look at the articles and studies and anything else that we discussed throughout today's episode. And if you are looking to optimize your diet or lifestyle in order to get rid of all sorts of low energy symptoms, whether that's gut issues or weight gain or excessive amounts of cravings and hunger, hormonal imbalances, a lack of energy throughout the day, poor sleep, or any other sorts of symptoms or chronic health conditions, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com/energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course. Where I will walk you through some of the main things you want to focus on as far as diet is concerned, and also other aspects of lifestyle like exercise and stress, in order to optimize your cellular energy balance and optimize your energy availability so that you can then optimize your health. And I'll explain also some of the details as far as why that's so important as far as addressing all of these symptoms and conditions go. So, to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com/slash energy. And with that, let's get started.
1: So Omar asked today, um, he wants to know specifically what the benefits of NAD Plus are in regards to senescent cells and longevity. Um, And I think some of this ties in with sirtuins. And since this is not necessarily my main area of focus, uh, I'm going to leave this question to Jay because he knows a lot more about it than I do.
0: Yeah, so... This is definitely like a, a pretty major topic to talk about in terms of longevity, and also people talk about in terms of performance and there's a few supplements, especially in the last couple of years, that have been gaining a lot of popularity, uh, like nicotinamide riboside and there's a few others too that are that are meant to boost n a d and this is supposed to help with brain function and overall health and increase longevity and prevent the death of senescent cells things like that and to a point, there's a lot of validity there, but there's also misconception as well, with you know, as with many of these things that we talk about. So just for a little bit of background, is that NAD is, is basically uh, one of the primary factors involved in energy production. And it accepts and donates electrons between NAD and NADH, and this helps to basically transfer energy along through. Uh, myochondrial respiration through energy production, which of course is kind of the main, uh, the main factor determining our health. So it definitely plays a major role in all of these things. And when typically when we're talking about NAD, we're talking about it as far as the ratio between NAD and NADH. And when we have a high ratio of NAD to NADH, this is going to increase the rate of respiration and represents a, a higher rate of rep- respiration where. There is a lot of energy being produced, and you have like all of the energy producing cycles flowing very quickly. And then on the other hand, when you have a low NAD ten ADH ratio, it represents the opposite. And so that high NAD ten ADH ratio is is associated with various markers of of health and general healthiness. And then the opposite, where a low NAD ten ADH ratio is uh, one of the main markers of all sorts of degenerative conditions and diseases. So. It is a really helpful indicator of what's going on metabolically and where uh, where your metabolism is at, like how, how well you're producing energy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we just want to be taking things that increase a lot of NAD, or that we want to be doing things that increase a lot of NAD. And that's because, much like virtually any other factor, is is that we have like in in response to any sort of stress. We will try to respond by increasing energy production, things like that, and in this case, increasing NID is one of the ways that that happens. At least so,
1: initially, at least initially, you're going to want to increase energy production and stress in like the alarm stage.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, right. So, so as a part of that initial stage of, of stress, when we don't have enough energy, our body say, "Hey, we need enough energy to deal with whatever's going on right now." And one of the things that it does is increases NAD in order to fulfill that process. But as you're kind of alluding to, Mike, in the long term, often the opposite is the case, where if we are increasing something like NAD or any sort of energy production via stress, in the long term, it actually ends up slowing down energy production and conserving fuel and energy. Because when we are in a stress state, that's it, it basically translates that we want to be conserving energy. We want to be, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of excess energy available to use so and it does that by depressing thyroid hormones and and all sorts of other things so this like this kind of all falls into that umbrella of hormesis which is the idea that a small amount of stress causes beneficial responses and makes that small amount of stress beneficial and so the increases in nad are a major factor here and then as you mentioned also mike the serotonins are a major factor here as well. So, oftentimes in response to small amounts of stress that people call hormesis, there's first a signal called AMP kinase or AMPK, which is a signal of a lack of energy. And then in the case of NAD, this increases what's what's called NAMPT, which is just like a, a long name. So, the acronym's easier. It's, and just that,
1: an, it's an enzyme, yeah, or a protein.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an enzyme. Well, okay. both protein and
1: enzyme. Yeah but yep. specifically an enzyme.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. And one of the things that it does is it, is it converts one of the precursors to NA, of NAD to NAD. So it increases the NAD production. And again, this is helpful in a sp- stress state because it allows us to handle whatever stress is going on and drive energy production. And one of the other things that happens when you have this increase in NAD is you have an increase in the sirtuin activity. And sirtuins are another one of those factors that along with this line of hormesis are thought to Be responsible for increasing longevity and slowing aging and improving health in all sorts of ways but what it ends up coming down to is that when you're doing these things via stress rather it does have these short-term benefits but you have basically a a long-term cost but on the other hand you can be increasing nad and increasing the activity of the sirtuins without that stress and that's by making sure that energy energy production is functioning efficiently so as just a, a short example of this, a lot of people will talk about glucose oxidation versus fat oxidation or burning carbs versus burning fat. And when you're burning fat, there's this series of, of consequences that leads to a, a reduction in NAD, a reduction in NAD to NADH ratio. And so this has to do with the beta oxidation of fat that increases FADH2, which has competition with NADH at the electron transport chain and leads to less Offloading of NADH of of NADH at the tran- electron transport chain, leading to less NAD plus, and the so so this ends up increasing the or increasing the NADH to NAD ratio or lowering the NAD to NADH ratio, and initially and then what they'll also find with that oxidation is that there's then this whole stress response that happens and then you have a kind of a rebound effect as as a real, result of this stress that increases NAD. But again, this is a result of, of the stress. So I don't, I mean, and and, and, then
1: I I want to clarify some of the stuff that you talked about. So essentially with, with any oxidation of either glucose or fat, you have the, the carbons in those, the carbon chains in those molecules are broken down and the energy from those bonds is transferred in the form of electrons to NAD+ forming NADH. Mm-hmm. So NADH is a storage form of energy. It just, it basically just stores the energy that you took from either your carbs or your fats. Then for fats, there's also FAD, uh, which goes to FADH2. If I'm, mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. it goes to FADH2. So basically the NADH and the FADH2 are saying we have a lot of, we have energy that we just took off or we have a lot of stored energy or potential energy, it hasn't been used yet. And then these carrier molecules go to the electron transport chain and unload the electrons that they're carrying into the electron transport chain. And then those electrons drive the electron transport chain to produce energy in the form of ATP. Mm. Now, so if you have, so basically with the ratio, when you're saying you have a high amount of NADH, what, or FADH2, what you're saying is, I have a lot of energy that I'm not using, All right. yeah, or, or
0: potential energy.
1: Potential energy, exactly. Or I don't, and and so basically the, the electrons aren't going through the electron transport chain. And then the other thing is, then that leads to a a, a lack of NAD plus, mm-hmm. which is basically or FAD, which are basically the molecules that are. That take the energy, so you don't. So these molecules have to be recycled. So once the electrons are removed from these molecules, the FADH2 and the NADH, then they go back to their other form of NAD plus and FAD. And so when you don't have the NAD plus and FAD, you can't take new molecules to store uh, from the fat and from the glucose. And so when you're saying I have a lot of NAD plus, it means I just used my NADH and my FADH2. I just produced ATP with those and now they're coming back and now they're coming back. So when you're in a state of stress and you're not producing a lot of energy, basically you, you're, you're going to have a lot of NADH and a lot of FADH2 and then your body is going to signal a bunch of pathways that basically are saying we need NAD plus and we need FAD so that we can keep the, the, energy, the, the flow of energy going. And so that's why, to, to break it down, that's why the ratio becomes pretty, very important. And then what you're saying with fatty acids is essentially when you, the FADH2 and the, NAD, the NADH use the same enzyme on the electron, electron transport chain. So if you have too much FADH2 with fatty acid oxidation, then it blocks NADH's ability to, use, to donate electrons to the electron transport chain. And then it basically causes a backlog of NADH, which is again a signal saying, "Oh shit, we're not producing enough energy." Um, and then it can it cause it has a whole bunch of signaling effects downstream. So I just wanted to clarify those those specific uh, areas. And then as far as like the sirtuins and senescence and stuff like that, that is I haven't really researched it, so I'm going to leave that one to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Th- thanks for those clarifications. I, I think. So just to add in one, because you went one,
1: through it real fast and I, <laughs> I know what you're saying, but I don't know other people, if other people, cause you went through it, you were right. You just went through it so quick.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to try to create an analogy that will hopefully help too. Um, so, but also just to, just to clarify real quick in talking about the FAD side, it's typically going from FADH to FADH 2 not, not FAD. Yeah. Okay. It's, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so an analogy, I'm trying to think of like an assembly line where you have somebody who is carrying a part from kind of the beginning of the, of the assembly line to the end. And then that part is used to create some, something, I don't know, should probably come up with something. So that would, um, well, let's just say a car. We always use cars, even though it's a completely <laughs> different analogy. So, um, uh, but when you think assembly line, you think cars. So, uh, so, you, you know, some, like you can think of NAD as, as one of those people, kind of a go between, between in this case the fuel that we're taking in and the energy being produced at the end. And so this, the NAD is a person without a part and they're picking up a part and then they're holding it when they're holding it. That's NADH. They're holding that potential piece of the, of the final product, which in this case is energy or, or a car. And they're carrying it to the end where it's then assembled and used to, to produce a car or produce energy. But what happens is that if that process is backed up, if, the cars aren't being able to be produced, if the energy is not being able to be produced, you have a bunch of people waiting around with parts in their hands and they don't have anywhere to take it because the assembly line is being backed up at the end. And so that's the equivalent of having high NADH. So it's a representation of the fact that the energy production process is being stopped up somewhere. And so you have this buildup of NADH, which which is why it's not a good sign. And that's why it's associated with all of these different conditions. And so what you want... Is to show a high level of NAD, a high level of people without any parts in their hands going to get those parts and taking them because that suggests that the whole process is moving very quickly and efficiently. Yeah.
1: Before you continue, and then with the stress state, what's essentially is happening is the these the the company, the car maker, is saying we have a lot, we need more, we need more uh, NADs, mm-hmm. we need more workers because we we're, we're not bringing more parts. We have we have the components. To create the parts but we don't have any workers to bring the parts to the to the next factory to make the car and so the body's saying okay we need to we need more or the company's saying we need more workers so they Mm -hmm. go out and they hire more workers to come carry more parts but the problem the real problem is and and this isn't an attempt to get everything going in terms of making the car but the real problem is the car is not being made right and so if the car is not being made at the end then you're going to have a continuous increase of people and Bringing their parts over, and they're not going to create the car. And that's right. that becomes the problem.
0: Right. Or at least in the beginning, it does create more cars, but then it, it just, there's a long yeah. term cost it'll, in it'll this case. Create, like, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It'll create it's, more cars because you have more parts being brought over. So it's like flooding the factory creating cars. Exactly. But it doesn't directly increase the total number of, of cars to the amount of workers you have bringing parts over.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that analogy worked. <laughs> um, and so, and so to compare, So we talked about like fat oxidation or stress, which causes this high amount of NADH, this blockage along the chain for these various reasons, basically. And I'll just kind of reiterate the with fat, instead of just having people carrying parts, you've got, I don't know, some machine doing it, which is the FADH to the FADH2. It's being automated. Right. Um, (laughs) But that there's competition at the end between the automated side and the people. And so because of that, it leads to a buildup of people with parts. Um, because the <laughs> automated side is taking precedent. So, yeah. Um, and so you still have that same NADH, and it's the same thing that happens in stress, and they just have to hire more workers to try to cover up the problem. And, and it yeah. works in the short term, long term, you have a lack of efficiency and a lot of problems. Whereas, on the other hand, with something like glucose oxidation or a smoothly running energy production process, a lack of things inhibiting this process, which we've talked about endotoxin and PUFA being very common ones. So, when you have this all running smoothly, you should have, and I know I mentioned this, but just to reiterate, everybody's kind of going back and forth, grabbing the parts, dropping them off as quickly as possible. So you've got a lot of people running around without a part in their hand going to get more. And so that's just a sign of everything running smoothly. You've got a lot of cars being produced at the end, a lot of energy. And that's why that high NAD is a good sign. So that's what makes, that's why the NAD is, is beneficial is having enough of it is necessary. You don't want that to be, you don't want everyone just running around with parts. You want enough people without parts to, to grab more. Um, so it's it, that's one reason why it's beneficial is you actually need its function. But the other thing is what it represents, which is that it represents a, a well, like something that's that's working. That energy is flowing.
1: It, it exactly. shows that. So the thing, so the important point here is that the car is being made, that the energy is being made, not to not the arbitrary ratio of NAD to NADH. The NAD to NADH is an indicator that the factory is producing the cars or the body is producing energy, but just flooding the system with NAD plus to or basically workers in the factory doesn't solve the problem that the car isn't being made on the back end. You need the car to be to made on the back end. You need the, the body to produce energy. And yeah. so that's why the nuance in terms of understanding why what's going on and, and specifically what's going on becomes important. And this is this this can be abstracted out to a bunch of other variables, for example, high cholesterol and heart disease or anything like that. And it so you have a lab value, you have an indicator, or you have some sort of ratio and it indicates a state, but it, and so just plugging one side doesn't necessarily, in some cases it may change the state, but in other cases it, it may, it, 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 you'll change the ratio, but you're not changing what specifically is going on. And that, and an example of that is in this case, just flooding your body with NAD or in the heart disease case, just taking a statin and lowering cholesterol. I mean, you lower your cholesterol and your value is lower, but people are still getting sick from heart disease and things like that, even on the statin. So it, I mean, those are different examples to maybe help explain some of it.
0: Yep. And for people who want to look more in depth, I'll link to my hormesis article that talks about NAD and AMPK and sirtuins and a bunch of other things as well, and why just doing things that just increase those things is not the goal. Um, And oftentimes those things are stressful, and so we don't want to be doing things just because they cause that small amount of stress so i'll link to that the other thing that i would just mention, as far as nad goes is there are times where it is a limiting factor and especially so nad is um is like a product that comes from vitamin b3 so not having enough vitamin b3 can be a a pretty negative factor here which is why niacin niacinamide or nicotinamide riboside which are all variations of vitamin b3 are used as supplements to to increase nad And, and as you mentioned this is not always a a solution but it's typically helpful to have more workers there but you just want to make sure that other parts of the process are working yeah. well too
1: yeah so. you can have a de- you can have a b3 deficiency which basically causes deficiency of nad
0: yeah and uh, yeah i mean and it's probably relatively common all things considered but yeah um,
1: especially with the new vegetarian vegan era and the lack of meat eating and things like which is one of the highest sources of vitamin b3 yep
0: yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add as far as NAD plus goes. Do you? Nope. Okay. I would add, <laughs> I guess I do have <laughs> one thing to add. <laughs> uh, in talking about this, the different ratios FADH2 to NADH, NADH to NAD, uh, one area where this becomes really clear is when, when uh, looking at the brain. And so it's just a, a very clear depiction of why our brains can't use fat for fuel. And it has to do with how this affects the efficiency of energy production and lowers the amount of NAD available and uh, compared to glucose, which is why our brains can use glucose effectively. So it's just kind of um, further validation for the fact that glucose is effective for keeping the, a good NAD to NADH ratio without stress. Whereas fat can increase the NAD to NADH ratio secondarily as a result of stress because primarily it, it decreases it. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. Adam Smith asks what a typical day of eating like uh, a typical day of eating looks like for each of us. I want to start, Mike. I, I want to say also, at least for me, that this varies a lot throughout, you know, seasons, throughout the year, week to week, day to day. Uh, and so I know I've been asked this on, on other podcasts that I've been interviewed on and things, and it, it's always a different answer. So I've always been a little weary of answering questions like this because I feel like people sometimes um take it as as such like a concrete response or then feel like it's the perfect diet to copy but it's it's very much a a transient thing that's kind of always being adjusted and changing based on so many variables so yeah
1: and it's individualized
0: exactly exactly so just certain people tolerate
1: different things Yeah. yeah yeah so for me i'm i'm a little bit more consistent in what i do but i do have um i definitely do have variation um, uh, my variation is mostly in my carb sources and things like that. Um, but a typical day of meat for me is generally four meals. I split them by about three hours apart and I generally stick to that. Um, number one, cause at least when I first started, I was having a lot of gut issues with digestion and things like that and allowing time between meals was helpful for me. Grazing throughout the day was like giving me issues, um, I had a surgery at one point. So I had a lot of scar tissue in my abdomen and was impeding digestion and things like that. So providing some time for my, my digestive system to digest food was helpful for me. Um, and then I generally, I generally, I guess you could call it a formula for my meal, but I'll generally have, um, fruit and whole fruit, dried fruit, uh, fruit juice. And, uh, my, my main vegetables, raw carrots. You're uh, saying I'll all have, three
0: of those forms of fruit, or just some? Both, it could be.
1: It could be a combination. It could be only juice. It could be. It could be dried fruit and juice. It could be a little bit of dried fruit and fr- it's. It rotates. So that's the variable for me. I have different fruits depending on like seasonal uh, availability and things like that. I'll have different fruits at different times. I'll have sometimes I'm craving persimmon, and other times I don't want persimmon. I want grapes or something like that. Or other times I want dried pineapple. Um, and then I'll have some type of juice, and the juice varies. Uh, orange juice, the, the Ray Pete special didn't necessarily agree with me very well. So um, I use mainly pineapple juice and pomegranate juice and white grape juice and purple grape juice and things like that. So those are my main uh, juice sources. They, those are the ones that don't give me uh, any digestive issues or make me feel weird or anything like that. So those I went with with feel. Um, and then I have raw carrots. I tend to use the multicolored variety. Um, usually one raw carrot per meal. I find that and we're going to get to this eventually, but I feel like it does stimulate my digestive tract, um, like peristalsis and things like that. And then I usually wait like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, b- just because I found that if I take a whole bunch of like fluid, which a lot of the fruit is, especially if it's not dried fruit with the neck, with the lot of protein and fat at the same time, it can make me feel full for a little, like a little bit longer, and uh, like a little heavy. So I usually wait about 10 to 15 minutes after I eat the juice, uh, the fruit and drink some juice and eat a raw carrot. Um, and then the next part of my meal is like pretty consistent. It's it's either going to be some type of red meat or some type of seafood. And then it sort of just, with that, there's no formula besides that I tend to have about four ounces per meal. Um, and that was, I came up with the four ounces because it, it sort of lines up with some of the studies I saw with protein and amount of amount of protein digested in or not burned as or oxidized for fuel in a meal. And then basically just having a really heavy protein meal can, or a a large amount of protein in a meal can sit with me for a while. Eventually, if I eat a lot more protein in a meal, my body will adapt, but I tend to keep it around four ounces. Um, and that's, that could be shrimp. It could be cod. It could be mussels with, and oysters and clams, uh, could be sole. Sometimes with my family, they like to eat uh, sardines. So it could be some sardines. I know it's necessarily not peat approved. Um, and then besides that, any type of red meat, steak, uh, any type of beef, any type of lamb, uh, any, any, and sometimes organ meat, liver, a lot of ground meat. Uh, and we cook with a lot of different spices and things like that in the ground meat. And then with my meat, I tend to have my fat sources and the fat source will be either macadamia nut oil or beef tallow sometimes butter um, yeah and then not re- coconut oil and me don't really or coconut oil and I don't really agree very well uh, so and that that's individual i mean some people in my family tolerate it some people don't so it really depends but i usually stay with some type of tallow butter or macadamia nut oil and i don't specifically i don't cook with macadamia nut oil I will heat up my food in the pan with a little bit of tallow or a small amount of butter, or I'll microwave it, and then I'll add the macadamia oil, macadamia oil on top. And then, besides that, I just the, the any type of supplements I use. Most of the stuff I use now is like a powdered camu camu for vitamin C, and with my protein and fat, I try to with each meal I have uh, uh, some collagen, some collagen hydrolysate, and some hot water. Um, and I, I'll boil the water and then I add the collagen hydrolysate and it, it, I found that it digests easier for me that way. Um, and it's only like for the, if it's the fish, the Marine one, it's one scoop. And then if it's the, the, the beef one, it's half a scoop because there's more protein in the, in the beef one than the fish one. And that, that's the general day to day, especially because working in the hospital or, and work going to people's houses for visits and stuff like that i tend to need to be very consistent and know what i'm gonna be eating and things like that and i just sort of follow that cool yeah
0: um yeah so mine definitely varies a lot more than that uh and as i said it kind of varies by the season what's available fruit wise which i know yours does too um yeah. things like that but normally i'll start off my morning with a glass of orange juice. uh, And then maybe 30 minutes later, I mean, it really kind of depends. I'll have breakfast, which mm, varies. Oftentimes it's, I mean, it's always some source of protein. So that could be basically all the same sources that you had mentioned, some sort of seafood or beef or lamb or something. Normally I'm cooking some sort of meal for the week that. I'll have kind of throughout for breakfast and dinners. And then I have some other meals that I sprinkle in that I'll mention. Uh, so it'll be something like that. Or maybe I'll do eggs and, and beef bacon. That's kind of an easy one that I always have on hand.
1: Beef bacon is delicious.
0: Yeah. Or sometimes like a, a good quality beef hot dog. I'll go with those two sometimes. And I'll normally do some fruit at that time. Some fruit or juice kind of around that time. And then with within that period of time, Like kind of just post breakfast, I have my coffee with milk, which is about equal parts milk and coffee and a a pretty good amount of sugar in there. (laughs) And then, uh, between, so, and I don't normally that's it for breakfast. Sometimes, um, if I'm having a late lunch for the day, I'll have a snack, which will be banana chips or dried mango, or sometimes potato, potato chips cooked in coconut oil, maybe some chocolate occasionally it's fresh fruit uh sometimes i'll do cheese there's um like sheep's milk cheese or goat's milk cheese or sometimes i'll do just regular cow milk cheese uh and then lunch will sometimes be some variation of that snack sometimes it'll be like cheese and fruit uh with sometimes milk with collagen mixed in sometimes it'll be like eggs and bacon the beef bacon sometimes it'll be like a I don't know some sort of normally it's a little bit lighter on the protein side or that protein for me is normally coming from dairy throughout the day and then sometimes there's a snack between lunch and dinner sometimes there's not again it's kind of those the same ones that i mentioned earlier I'm trying to think of some other go-to snacks that so I your have.
1: main snacks so far is like cheese and fruit um or I, milk and coffee is the morning one and then Made some type of either chocolate or potato chips fried in coconut oil or mm-hmm. banana chips fried in coconut oil or something like that
0: yeah dried fruit yeah. And whole fruit i'll do fruit juice too so orange juice grape juice pineapple juice yeah. and yeah that milk and coffee is normally kind of like a finishes up my breakfast yeah yeah uh yeah yeah and, and milk as well throughout the day do, i do go to milk um like a mm-hmm. local raw goat milk and and then yeah so dinner will be kind of similar to breakfast it'll be some sort of like meal that I've made throughout the week, which could, I mean, most recently I made an oxtail soup that also has onions and potatoes in there and carrots. Sometimes it'll be some sort of a roast or I'll do like some sort of like a shredded beef sort of thing. I'll do tacos sometimes or lamb shanks, um, seafood, mu- mussels, fish, like lean fish. So your and,
1: dinner is usually some type of pr- like heavier protein.
0: Yeah. Some sort of protein. And normally I would say maybe at least half the time there's some sort of starch in there but some like some periods of time it's every night I'll have that starch like uh, sweet potatoes regular potatoes white rice other times I just kind of skip a few days there, just based on feel and what I'm up for and I'll also do a couple of those dinners will be beef liver and sometimes other organ meat like like heart or kidney I haven't had kidney available in a while but yeah, that's for the most part dinners. And then after dinner, like kind of a before bed snack sometimes will be ice cream mm. or any of those other snacks I mentioned earlier. And sometimes I'll do like tea with a little bit of milk and sugar. I'm sure there's other foods that I'm forgetting right now. But yeah, yeah. fresh fruit is always just depending on, on the season. When it's in season, I'm eating a ton of it. And, you know, grapes, cherries, watermelon, sometimes pineapple, uh, like maybe plums or all sorts of things yeah. like that. But when it's not, then it's more of the dried fruit, um, juice, sometimes frozen fruit. Sometimes I'll do a smoothie. It just depends.
1: Yeah. And dried fruit sources that I think both of us would do is, um, mango. I don't really do mango as much, uh, mango and I don't get along. I have, I I would say I probably have more digestive stuff than you do Mm -hmm. because of the surgery that I had when I was younger. Um, but pineapple persimmon, um, what else? I uh, do apricots. Apricots. There's papaya too. We have dried papaya here sometimes.
0: Um, banana chips. I know mentioned earlier,
1: banana chips. Yeah. And then a lot of these things is specifically for stuff in our diet. You can see that our diets are, are a little bit different. For example, I don't have dairy and this is inv- individual tolerance. So when, and this is something that goes back to some of the things that we talked about in other episodes in general, what you mentioned before that my diet may not work for somebody, somebody may not eat as much red meat as me, but it doesn't make them feel good. So they may do more dairy and more eggs or very lean chicken or something like that. And, and it really depends or more seafood. So the principles are relatively similar. All the principles are about the same, but the, the extrapolation of those principles can be very different. And that, for example, I have family members and friends, um, that also eat differently as well. I mean, Some people eat a lot of chocolate and they, they love it. And that's one of their main fat sources. They have it with each meal. Um, which is fine as well. I mean, as long as you tolerate it, (laughs) they're, they're definitely not fat. Let's just put it as a very lean. Um, some people eat a lot of potato chips. I know my dad loves potato chips cooked in, uh, either Mac, uh, there's not macadamia. It's avocado oil. Mm. Uh, he eats a lot of that. Um, which isn't, I mean, it's not, I, not ideal, but it's not terrible. It's not like safflower oil. um, Mm. And again, there's, the thing is, is the other thing I want to point out is there's like, you can go to ideal or optimal or the best, but sometimes, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be super, super strict. You know, if it's, if you're having like avocado oil, potato chips, okay, it's not terrible. You know, if you're having beef bacon or things like that, or ice cream, like, I mean, in certain circumstances, you're putting on a lot of weight, eating those foods you know then maybe consider something's going on you're not tolerating it or certain foods can make certain people put on weight it really depends trying to say something mike (laughs) (laughs) no not for you you're definitely not putting on weight but again i there i just want to point out the the aspect of individuality because there is an there is individuality in particular diets um and even with the principles that we put there's a lot of individuality you graze more i eat four solid i eat my four solid meals a day and Mm. that's it i mean maybe i have some juice at night or something like that and i wake up and i'm thirsty in the middle of the night or anything like that but it's pretty much for me four solid square meals they have all the components carbs fats proteins in them and i i'm like do it pretty much the same way every time and you have more of like a grazing style it seems and you have more variability and and things like that so but the principles are the same for both of us these adequate protein decent amount of fat and carbs and then a lot of the carb sources. I don't tolerate starch as well. Sometimes I do have rice. Um, um, that's cause my family, they like to cook rice sometimes and I like it with my meals. Um, but, and so my, mine is mostly sugar. So it, again, it really depends our diets are not for anyone to copy and think that it's going to be the best for them. Um, and it, it's just, again, it depends on your individual physiology on certain things that you tolerate. I mean, I don't mean orange juice and dairy and I don't get along very well. So I had to work around it and I figured out what worked for me. But for some members of my family, I mean, my baby sister drinks milk all day long. So goat milk all day long and she has no problem. And it really depends. And my dad doesn't drink any milk or anything like that. So there is, there's individuality. There's a lot of individuality.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I see that a lot with clients. I have clients who are drinking a ton of milk and some that are drinking none. And same goes for starch for example uh and fruits i mean and some
1: people do better with starch over fruit right my dad's uh my dad's wife is asian and she does eat a lot of fruit but her main carb source is white rice and she that's what they're eating in her country and that's that's what she eats and she tolerates it fine doesn't have any digestive issues um she does eat a fair amount of fruit specifically tropical fruits and things like that so um, but when she tried to take out white rice for a while, she wasn't doing as well. So, I mean, for some people that just, it just works that way. It just, that's, that's what works for them. And she, it still falls within the principles of, of the diet and stuff like that. So, I mean, if that's what works, if that's, what's working for you and you're feeling good and you don't have symptoms and your all the general functions in terms of your libido, your mood, your mental function. You're, whether you 're fatigued or not your sleep at night, your hunger levels, blood sugar crashes, and if all that stuff is doing well and you're, and you're eating that way and you're, and' you're, you're warm and you're not constantly freezing and things like that then then it's working for you and yeah
0: yeah and I think another thing you're kind of getting at is is the intuitive side where part of it is more of a, more of an evaluation after the fact of how you 're feeling, but part of it also is is giving some some uh, power to your intuitions and what you what you tend towards what you like to eat what you feel good with yeah and there are times where each of us do that too i mean i know that like especially with i think dessert things just having some variation is helpful so there are times where i'll have either homemade or store-bought gluten-free cookies or or some sort of like custards or creme brulee or something and I know that you you, you know you'll do that you'll do that too sometimes yeah. and that might be like a week or sometimes two. Sometimes I will of, eat cookies, yeah. Yeah. And f- you know, we uh, there's also like levels there too where there are certain things I still won't eat when I'm looking for something like that and certain things I will based on yeah. how I typically will feel and that all changes also when I'm at a restaurant or if I'm on uh, if I'm traveling somewhere. So yeah. you yeah, have I mean, to work with what you got sometimes.
1: You really have to work with what you got sometimes. I mean, if I'm traveling and it's a long traveling period, I mean and I go to, and I'm at the airport and you know, all I have is orange juice and beef jerky, orange juice and beef jerky. Or if it's, if they have some type of like a cane sugar based soda, then it's that. Or sometimes if it's really bad, then it's a Red Bull. Like (laughs) it, I mean, it, you have to work with what you have And some, if it's really terrible and they don't have anything, sometimes I won't eat. But I mean, I tend to prepare ahead of time and have dried fruit and things like that. Being prepared is pretty helpful. Um, but sometimes you just have to deal with what you have and you have to make the best out of that situation and, you know, figure out what you can get by with. I mean, I'm say you say you're, you're traveling and there there's a Starbucks there and every, your family's there and they're getting coffees and stuff and you haven't eaten for a couple hours and there's, I don't know, they have a rice crispy treat or something and you tolerate rice fine. And the ingredients aren't terrible or not great. I mean, get some fruit juice and a Rice crispy treat or something. Some, you know, it, there's again, there's some things I won't eat. Like you're not going to see me eat a bag of potato chips cooked in canola oil or safflower oil. You're you're, you're not going to see me eat uh, some of the like the ridiculous candy they have at the store. Coffee and I don't get along. But
0: or the you know, like grains, you don't really do. You won't do wheat. Yeah, I, at all. I won't eat.
1: Yeah. I won't eat any wheat or any grains like that. And and that's because I don't tolerate them at all. I I feel terrible. Yeah. So. But if I, like, if I need some quick sugar or something like that, because I haven't eaten for a couple hours, and it's going to be a while more than, depending on what's available, you I will adjust. And then for some people, some cravings, like, for example, my girlfriend, for her cravings, she'll eat chocolate all the time. And it's a good quality dark chocolate. The ingredients is literally just, like, cocoa butter, cocoa liqueur, and cane sugar. Um, it's okay. I mean... Yeah.
0: I mean even go lighter, you know, milk chocolates or white chocolate, yeah, I think, can be fine too. If they
1: tolerate it, yeah. But yeah, her the ingredients are fine. She eats it regularly. She doesn't have any digestive problems. So I mean that works for her. And she eats it almost every single day. And I mean if we're really stressed out, she eats more and that doesn't have any she doesn't have any weight issues with it either. So um actually makes her thinner, <laughs> interestingly enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean and I'll do I'll do that too. I'll go through periods of a decent amount of chocolate and then sometimes I just don't want it as much but it is one that I cycle on a pretty decent amount or I eat a decent amount of it.
1: Yeah. Mine's definitely cookies. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And, and uh, you know, and like even in that variation, some people don't have such a strong reaction to other grains or wheat and are fine with breads or sourdough. And I mean, I've I've experienced it with, experimented with sourdough a little bit as well and something I'll go to sometimes, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of space for those things. Giving yourself the space for that Experimentation and intuition is often helpful. I think sometimes with too much rigidity, people end up missing out on trying things that they that they might yeah. find out that they do really well with or feel really good with. Or even if they have certain negative effects, they might have some positive. So maybe they're at a restaurant and in the past they would only eat you know very particular things, but instead they kind of just eat whatever's there and they find out that they feel really good after. And it might not have been the specific food; maybe it was just the amount of food or the amount of salt in there. I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors, but, yeah. but the rigidity and stress that we put on ourselves as far as eating goes can often, I mean, you can react to anything if you're really stressed about it. Uh, so there's something to be said for relieving yourself of some of that pressure. And then also there's some value to having variety and experimentation because it also leads to new discoveries and things.
1: Yeah. The only thing I want to stipulate there is if you are having like a lot of significant health issues, Sometimes in the beginning, it is really important to have a discipline in some of the things that you're eating, especially if you're having a lot of digestive issues and you don't know what's affecting you. Yeah. It, it take, you, you want to scale back and get to for a little while until you start figuring out what works for you, you know work up a little bit and figure you know, try different things. But in this beginning, some rigidity is helpful. And the other thing too is, um, for some of these foods, like a lot of the principles that we discussed, they do apply. Um, and so it's important to have a baseline solid nutrient dense diet. And then also at the same time, you know, if you go out and you just, I don't know, your grandma made some pumpkin bread, it's like, uh, I'm going to have a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So in some, so there is there, but you know, the baseline diet is solid. You know, I, I'm eating adequate protein, carbs, fats. I'm not slamming down a bag of lays or things like that, you know, or if I do want potato chips, I go get. The bolder ones with with avocado oil or something like that or coconut oil you tolerate it i mean there's there are junk foods and then you there's a lot of options for junk foods now where you can have different um manufacturers or pr- food processors produce a better variety like taste cookies like for regular cookies i have a lot of problems with They i don't digest them well they really bother me but i can eat taste cookies no problem Um, specifically the gluten-free ones and even the gluten-free oatmeal ones, I don't have an issue with. So it, it depends on the person it, and, but with a lot of this stuff, um, there are options for some of those junk foods and you, a lot of it is making sure that you have them in the house when you, if you are going to crave them sometimes. And just when in the beginning, it's important that if you're having a lot of health issues and you're coming from eating whatever you want, and it's a lot of, a lot of like legitimate junk food, like. I don't know, fast food restaurant stuff, fried in heavy oils or your typical Fritos or Lays or those are just basic examples. Then you may want to take a period where you have some discipline. And then once you stabilize in a more disciplined diet, um, then you can start progressing into having more an intuitive aspect. Cause when we I know for me when I first started, I was having a lot of digestive issues. And then I basically created a template based on what worked for me and research together. Um, and then I I stabilize there and now I have some more intu- uh, like intuitive aspects about it and sometimes I'll eat foods I know bother me just because I really want them sometimes I really yeah. want chocolate and chocolate and I really don't agree, but sometimes I just really want it so I'm gonna have chocolate and I'm just gonna <laughs> suffer the consequences but um you know it really depends and again for in my specific uh, context, I had a surgery that has impaired my digestion a decent amount and so like I'm gonna have and I'm still working on it, but I'm going to have issues with different foods. And some people just, they don't have it at all. Like my girlfriend can eat chocolate all day long and no problem. So really, it depends on the person. And I think that's important to point out.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and yeah, it is, it is, it can be tough to strike that balance. I mean, there are people who, a lot of times it's people who are thinking of it in terms of eating clean versus cheating and, and don't find much value in, in thinking of things in those terms. I mean, there's so much guilt and shame involved with cheating as as far as diet goes. And I don't think that's helpful. And, and I also think it gives this illusion of it doesn't matter if it's only one time where you're just eating whatever you want, but then that one time becomes many times. So there's, I, I do see that one of you know, that situation occasionally where somebody's like, yeah, I, I eat healthy. And then it's like, oh, well, except I go out for dinner Friday and Saturday night and I drink as well. And I just kind of eat whatever. And then, oh yeah, well, during the week I go out for lunch at least once, sometimes like three times a week. And I'll definitely have a couple glasses of wine at least a few times a week at home. And, um, and then I also, you know, sometimes i like these things when I'm stressed and it's like, there's, there's a balance. There's also something to be said for, as you said, first off, for sure, when you're experiencing a lot of health symptoms, more restriction can be helpful as long as it's done in the, in the right way. It's not like just restricting everything or whatever, but, um, but yeah. and, And there's, again, it's, I think there's, we need to have room for social For social life and sometimes that can include alcohol and eating suboptimal foods but it's also easy because of how normalized those things are in our society it's easy to feel like you're doing less than somebody else when and i mean i know people who eat out every single meal lunch and dinner and they don't eat breakfast and they drink every day and and they think that they're just kind of normal yeah and and i don't think that we should be normalizing those sorts of things again no no judgment or shame there i just think from a health perspective that's not a good idea and so if we're comparing ourselves to what we could be doing or, or comparing ourselves to people like that i don't think there's that's really helpful and so i do think yeah. if we are straying from things that we would think are optimally healthy we do want to be considering how often how much that's happening and that it can definitely be a contributing factor to health issues we're experiencing yeah.
1: i think it's important that you, that, that point that you bring up of what actually is considered normal and what's been normalized. Cause the normal that we have now is not actually normal, um, in regards to going out and eating fast food all the time and things like that. I mean, those are newer, (laughs) newer things that have been injected and culturally created, but, and we, a lot of us grew up with that, but they're not necessarily normal physiologically or normal from like previous, from a previous culture stance. So, and there's a reason why previous cultures did things the way that they did. I mean, grandma always soaks her beans before she cooks them. And my grandma always takes out the seeds and the skins off tomatoes before she cooked with them. And that was like an Italian thing. So there's a reason why they did those things. Now, research corroborates that stuff now, but a lot of stuff that we have going on now, and and this is a whole different subject, but uh, a lot of stuff we have going on now in terms of what's culturally normalized is a lot of marketing. I mean- and a mm-hmm. lot of a context of because a lot of people, they don't have and, and I'm not this is not to blame anybody. It's just that's uh, a wrecking point to recognize. They wake up in the morning. They don't have time to cook. They have to get the kids to work uh, to school and then they have to go to work. And then so it's like I don't have time for breakfast. so I'm just going to stop for fast food on the way. And then they get to work and then it's lunchtime and they didn't cook anything for lunch. Well, the vending machines over there or or there's this cafe right over there. So I'm just going to get whatever's there. And then they come home and then since both people are working, there's no time to really make dinner. So you pick something up on the way or you have a frozen dinner or something like that, something prepared. Mm-hmm. And then and then you just go to, so just a, there's a convenience factor in it that's built into the culture. But it, the problem in and of itself may actually be the culture where you don't have time to prepare food for yourself and you don't have time to, to cook for yourself and eat quality food and make sure the, your family's eating quality food or things like that um or go to get these specific things that we talk about so just keep in mind that that the culture is number one the culture around the fast food itself how it's created what's in what's inside of it and things like that there's a problem with that and then there's a problem in general with the culture so there could be a problem in general with the culture of how things are going when people don't have time to even cook for themselves or take care of themselves and things like that and it's not to blame the people in general. I mean, I don't know what people's circumstances are, but it's to, to recognize that the normalize, the normalized culture may actually be the problem itself. The fact that that's considered normal. I mean, I <laughs> I work with a lot of nurses in the hospital, and I I see what they do on a regular basis. And it's I had to wake up. I didn't have time to eat, and then they eat at we are the shift starts at seven. Then they eat at like two or three o'clock in the afternoon when they get time, and it's ordered Jimmy John's. And I don't even know some, whatever's in there. And then they go home and it's like, yeah, hey, I was too tired I didn't eat last night or, oh, I just, I could, I needed to relax. So I had a few drinks and then I went, then I fell asleep and then I woke up at 4am and I went to my next shift. And a lot of people will run their lives like that. And a lot of nurses will run their lives like that, or they'll finish the shift as a Friday, they'll go out drinking. And then when they get off their shift, then wait the next morning they'll be back at work. So, I mean, it's, it really depends. But, but I don't think I think a lot of the culture is, is problematic around that stuff. I mean, the old culture or some of the old cultures were set up around, you know, you cook your food and prepare it at home and things like that. And there was certain ways to do it. And there's reasons why. So just things to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as normalization goes, it's definitely very abnormal to eat three home meal, homemade <laughs> meals every day, seven Especially days a week. Especially sitting down
1: with your family and not having... Some Dreaming. sort of technology at the table. I mean that for doesn't have yeah. for one meal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know for us, we with my family, we ate dinner together every single night. And that was something that my my dad prioritized. My mm-hmm. and my parents together. And yeah. so I know in, in some families it's not feasible. So I'm not blaming other people, but what I'm saying is those things are important. The socialization aspect, the fact that the you come home and you have a home cooked meal, you know what ingredients are in there, they're quality ingredients. It's not whatever McDonald's got from the best price from the distributor or anything like that. It's no, this is a quality, it's cooked with a quality butter or something like that. Whatever it is, those things, those elements and those cultures or the construction of culture in that sense is important. The culture is important and how it's constructed and the elements of it and why you do different things in that culture. So sitting down, I know when I lived in Spain for a little while, every 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 day you would have your siesta and... You, the family would get together and they would eat together at lunch and then they would eat together at dinner and it was important that you ate together. There was no not eating together. I mean, I was there um, and I was living with another family and basically I was like, oh, I'm going to go work out. They're like, no, you have to eat with us first and then you can go work out. Like you don't, <laughs> there's no getting away from that. And those are important things. Those are really important things to have that. The And there was no phones and TVs at the table. You had to be turned off. Everybody had to, even if you sat there in silence, you were sitting there and you were eating. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm glad that my family did that as well. Dinners together and everything. I Uh, think it's
1: important. I think it's really important. And my parents never let me have the phone at the table. Yeah. I hated it when I was young, but I appreciate it now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for today's Q&A episode. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer on a future Q&A episode, you can send that question in to jay at jayfeldmanwellness.com. That's jay at jayfeldmanwellness.com. And you can also leave that question as a comment on the YouTube video if you're watching this podcast there. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review or a like or a comment wherever you're listening. It really does a lot to help support the podcast. And also, if you can leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, that also makes a really big difference. To check out the show notes for today's episode, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash podcast, where I'll, I'll link to any of the studies or articles or anything else that we discussed throughout today's episode. And if you are dealing with any low energy symptoms, maybe you're looking for some more principles, some of those principles that we discussed as far as optimizing your diet goes in order to improve various symptoms like weight gain or gut symptoms, symptoms like inflammation or bloating or irregularity, or if you're dealing with excessive amounts of cravings and hunger or any sort of hormonal imbalance symptoms, maybe a lack of energy, anything else that you might be experiencing or maybe any chronic health conditions that you might be experiencing, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash energy and sign up for a free energy balance mini course where I'll walk you through some of those most important principles that you'll want to keep in mind when it does come to diet, exercise, stress, and other aspects of our lifestyle so that you can optimize your cellular energy availability, and then recover from all sorts of these conditions and symptoms, and feel your best, and feel what it's like to have that uh, that energy surplus, that Im- that extra energy that allows our body to function at its highest level. So, to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to slash energy And with that, I will see you in the next episode.